Hey, everybody, we are here to tell you about a cool new feature on the website that we would love for you to check out. Head to howtosplitatoaster.com and check out the bottom of the page. You'll find a box floating there that says, quote, ask Seth and Pete, close quote. This box is magical. You just type a question in there and the robots behind the scenes will search the actual audio of our entire library of past episodes and not only give you a short answer to your question, but point you to the specific episodes where we discussed your topic so you can listen yourself. At this point, we're just testing it. To know if this feature should be a permanent feature on the website, we need your help. For that, we need you to ask a lot of questions. So head to howtosplitatoaster.com and click the box, Ask Seth and Pete. The robots will do the rest. On with the show. Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, is your toaster still a toaster after divorce? Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today on the show, we're talking about how we take care of the most important relationship we have in divorce. No, it's not your attorney. It's not even your kids. The most important relationship you have before, during, and after your divorce is the relationship you have with yourself. Ashley Abramson is a solution-focused self-love mentor, trauma coach, and three-time international Amazon best-selling author, and she joins us today to talk about shedding self-judgment in favor of self-love. Ashley, welcome to the toaster. Thank you for having me here. I'm super excited. Oh, Ashley. Okay. So, as you might have heard during the intro, your your focus and and your journey has been from a divorce, which doesn't sound great, to a rediscovery of who you are as a human being. And that is one of the, you know, we're a law podcast that masquerades as a self-help podcast. And so we're really interested in, in Pete, this. don't part. tell people that. <laughs> I, did I just out us somehow? God, I'm the worst. Uh, but, but this is a really important part of the divorce process. And my hunch is, as wired into the the legal stuff as you are like maintaining that relationship with self is critically important so i'm hoping you would be willing to start off with a uh, a little bit of a journey of yours like how what did it look like what was triggering for you in the divorce process that pushed you on this path of of discovering who you are and connecting with yourself yeah everything um excellent yeah. Next I mean, week on the show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Next. You got my joke, Pete. <laughs> there we go. Um, no, I mean, I really, everything, it was this grand realization of how much of my life was created outside of me. All of my happiness, my satisfaction, my status. And the divorce was that, that shiny mirror that showed me that I had no clue who I was. I had no self-love. Pretty much brought me down to the ashes. I wear the phoenix on my neck because I really see my divorce process and what occurred afterwards as this burning of what I thought was and this discovery of what always was, if that makes sense. It sort of do you characterize like, do you think of yourself like, uh, could you put words to describe who you are today versus who you were before your divorce? 
How have you changed? So I I know who I am. I love myself at the deepest level. I don't seek external gratification anymore because I have it within. Uh, The Ashley prior to the divorce, even though I had done tons of personal development before my divorce, and I thought I was emotionally, mentally, physically the happiest, healthiest I had ever been, but it was mindset work. It was the surface level cold showers, meditations, affirmations, which are wonderful. Do not get me wrong. But I call them the icing on the cake. If you haven't baked the cake, the icing will cave in, I promise you. That and- is a disgusting metaphor. Thank you for that. <laughs> that. I have never heard that metaphor. Yeah. Always bake the cake first, y'all. That yeah. is, you heard it here. Bake never the cake. And, and, and this is How to Split Toast or Divorce Podcast masquerading as baking <laughs> as advice. Baking yes. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll bring the baking advice. Okay. Outstanding. We're in good shape. Pete. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to say this the same way that Ashley did, but we've talked about this before on the show where when I was married the first time, <gasps> got that one there. I'm going to need know. a cowbell or something. <laughs> <laughs> I played so many different roles in my life at that time in the role that I let go that was no one's fault but my own was being true to myself. Who was I? I played so many different roles in my life and I forgot the most important one was to be me. I was a stepdad. I was an attorney. I was a husband. I was a son. I was an uncle. I was trying to be a provider. Whatever things I was doing was always looking outward to others and how I was supposed to be in that relationship. And I didn't take time to go for a run, to spend maybe even time with friends because I was like so invested in everything else I was doing that I let a lot of things go that no one asked me to do it. Let me be very clear. This isn't like, Oh, she wouldn't let me hang out with my friends and go grab a beer. That that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about I was saying, nope, I got other things going on. I I secluded myself in all these other things and lost who I was. What do you say? Uh, just uh, and uh, Ashley, I promise I'll come back to your thread here in a second, but you guys have both distracted me. Uh, what do you say to people who say, "But that's where I get my joy. I get my joy." by externalizing the and and supporting the joy of others and supporting the lives of others. That's where I get my healing energy. Like, what, why do I need to focus on myself? I'm a firm believer that I'm not here to force anybody else into a different understanding. But I ask, what if you don't have that? How are you, like, if you lost it all tomorrow, the same thing I would ask a, a billionaire that says, or millionaire that says you don't need money to be happy. My question to be to them would be, what if you lost all tomorrow? Could you still find happiness? And usually their answer is no. And then that's that stark realization of, oh, crap, right? Like that's not genuine happiness or joy if it's dependent on someone else. Because let's be realistic. Everybody's going to disappoint you at some point in your life period. Because we're not the identical human being. We're not the uh, the identical person. So we're always going to disappoint or come up short from what someone else is expecting from us. So if you're seeking something from someone else, it's never going to be exactly what you're seeking. If that Does that make sense? 
It totally makes sense. And it allows me to quote my new source of all great wisdom, which is the uh, hit film Barbie and America Ferreira. When she looks, it says, oh, I don't want to change. And, and th- she says, oh, honey, life is change. And life is change is the source of all disappointment, right? Like someone else changes their lives and it shakes up your worldview. And that's disappointment. I actually love your answer because it's that when you look around you and realize there's no one else to serve your externalizing of your own efforts to create joy in others, that is hollow. And what will you have? And Pete, this is, I think, the perfect time to say, sometimes the people that you were serving and that you got joy from when they leave, it rocks your world and it will rock your marriage. And what I mean by that, empty nesters. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. That is a prime time for potential divorce because you've put all your focus into others, your children. No one's saying that's a bad thing. They go off to college and you look at your spouse and say, how the hell do we even know each other? Mm -hmm. How are we going to spend time together? And that is a microcosm, I think, of what we're talking about. Well, I've to- and I've told this story about my, my parents. My dad told me when we had kids, he, he said, when I left the house, it took them a long time to realize they had to ceremonially reintroduce themselves to one another, my mom and dad. They had to shake hands and say, nice to meet you, because they were, to your point about the Phoenix, Ashley, they were substantively different people the last time they were in a relationship alone together mm-hmm. than they than they were after I left. And that's that is I guess that's jarring. That can be alarming. Yeah. I mean, and I think, too, a lot of times if you ask a person, who, what do you love the most? Who do you love the most in your life? They always, if they have children, it's usually, oh, my children. And a lot of times this prickles people when I say this, but that's not possible. You cannot love your children more than you love yourself. You are not capable of giving someone else what you already are not giving yourself, right? So if you don't love yourself at a certain level, you cannot love your children at that level, meaning you have to love yourself the most, period, at the end of the day. So my flip to that question you brought me is, is that really joy? Or is that what you have been taught joy is? Because if you don't know what joy is on your own, do you really know what joy is? I don't think so. And I would say the majority of my clients I've worked with in my own journey would say, Ashley's right. Like I didn't even realize what joy was until I found it within. I thought it was all these things outside, but that doesn't even meet the joy that you can experience when you find it within, when you shift your perspective, when it doesn't matter if you're homeless or a multimillionaire, you can find the same amount of happiness because it has nothing to do with anything outside of you and everything to do within. This uh, also allows me to quote the second great book of wisdom, courtesy of the Federal Aviation Administration, always put the mask on yourself before you put it on your children. Right? Like in so many ways, you get to love better when you love yourself. I think you only get to love. I mean, that's probably an unpopular opinion, but I don't think you truly know what love is until you've learned to love yourself. And I think that statement, I love that because my mom worked for the FAA, my grandma worked for the FAA, my brother's a pilot. We're very <laughs> FAA. I promise I didn't know that before yeah. I made that joke. Okay. That was amazing. Okay. Yeah. okay, we have to we have to pause here for a minute. 
Because I was thinking of like 37 different things to say that he quotes Barbie and then the FAA <laughs> manual. And Ashley, you just ruined it for me because then you just was like, Pete, I love that yeah. analogy. Right. Let me tell you why. And then you list off that you basically are related to everyone that works for Delta. It's like the, okay. the FAA sort of founding family of the FAA. Yeah. This there is amazing. Go. So good. Uh, I don't even know where we were, Seth. You totally derailed my line of thought. Well, here, here's the thing. It, it, it is a very good point that you put the mask on yourself first. You love yourself first, and then you can help others. But Ashley, I think as I'm listening to you say this, can you give an example of loving yourself first? What like are you finding joy? Like, what does that mean? Because I could, I can just kind of hear it where someone's saying, "Well, I love spending time with my family. I would prefer to have dinner with them than by myself." Right. So, so are there some examples we can work with here? Yeah, and I think self love is it has so many different definitions today, right? Like people are like, I'm going to go get a massage. I'm going to practice self-love. I'm going to go buy myself this car, practice self-love. When I talk about self-love, what I mean is knowing who the heck you are, understanding why you make the decisions you do. And just a quick little story, when I really got on this journey of what I call bringing awareness and getting curious, I was moving to Florida and I was going to buy a brand new car. And I was looking at a silver car, which I've always got silver cars. My mom's always had silver cars. They match the planes. The planes start silver. There you go. (laughs) She actually has an aircraft call sign on the front fender of her car. (laughs) I did just get a license plate today. But (laughs) (laughs) anyway, I knew I didn't want a white car. And I get on the phone with my mom and she's like, I'm like, I'm getting a new car. And she goes, it better not be a white one. And I was like, what? And I realized I did not like white cars because that was a story I got from her. So you bet your ass I drive a white vehicle now because I needed to test that narrative because that's about learning to love and respect yourself. If you're continuing to live by narratives that you have no clue where they came from, then you have no idea who you are. So that's just a small story. I I love that pivot because I was about to make a joke about buying a white car calling the vengeance car against mom or suck it mom is on your plate. But really, it is like I like the idea of using those as a chance to test your stories or test the assumptions that you've held about yourself all along. That's the the nut of the whole story is, oh, my gosh, what what tape is playing in my head that I did not even know was playing? That's huge. 100%. Yeah, I think that's the key to self-love is getting curious, bringing awareness. And only through that can you truly know who you are versus, oh, this is Pete's story because he told me this or Seth said this movie was great. That's why I love this movie. You know, we're running by so many of those stories and that plays into trauma and societal conditioning and everything else. But that's what self-love truly is, is knowing you. You can't love yourself if you don't know you. I have certainly learned about why I do things that I do. Knowing kind of the underlying reasoning always helps me. Oh, always, always helps. And it took a lot of work and time to figure stuff out. And let me be clear, this is not me sitting on a couch and saying, tell me about your childhood. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when someone says something, well, why do I react this way? Is it something that I'm unhappy with myself? Or they hit that nerve that has nothing to do with what they said. 
it has to do with how I perceived what they said and how I perceive myself. And I just had this conversation where someone said, oh my God, Seth, you're so funny. And I said, well, I appreciate that, but you find my humor funny, but I will tell the same joke in the same setting and you will laugh and someone will think that was the most unbelievable, rude thing to say. Same person, same setting that I'm talking, two different listeners, they perceive it differently. Yeah. Is one of them a judge because I get that then? <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> Exactly. Can we talk a little bit about that, uh, about the rebuilding process as a divorce pro- podcast? Let's bring it back uh, to to the divorce story, right? I mean, that's that's really, Ashley, it, it seems to me that that it was, was triggering to you for this journey of rediscovery. Can you talk a little bit about your your story with the law and and your adventures in rebuilding? I was blessed to have some amazing attorney friends in the process of my divorce who helped me fill out the paperwork very, very quickly and got my ex-husband to sign it before he realized some of the like pensions and things I had access to. I know it doesn't sound great today, but I was blessed with that. A lot of my clients, I work with them through the process while they're dealing with it. And it gets very, very muddy and and dark. And I love the name, How to Split a Toaster, because in the end, it has nothing to do with the toaster. And it has everything to do with you having this innate last, last hand up, right? Like, I'm going to win this. And if I get the toaster, I win. But I'm here to say... No matter what you get, say you get the toaster, it will never satisfy you, period. So when we're going through that divorce process, and I was as well focused on, you know, I think Christmas things. I think he still has some of my Christmas ornaments. And it it just held so much weight that it kept me from really what was going on, the true healing that needed to occur in the process. And I destructed for a good year, year and a half, went down a really dark place, pretty much was trying to kill myself without killing myself until I had this aha moment of, you know, I'm going to quote Winona Judd, you only got two places to go uh, when you hit rock bottom, sideways or straight up. And I decided I was going to go straight up and really start to do that work. To me, that pivotal moment of understanding how much the weight I was placing on the things within the divorce didn't matter anymore is like what gave me permission to just let it go and step forward and step out of it. Isn't that, though, like when you talk about the stuff, what I'm hearing is that stuff is so entangled with your identity that it's that's the change that you're bearing witness to is how do I let go of the stuff that represents who I was before? A hundred percent. It's a huge grieving process. You're grieving so many things. Like in my divorce, I had a dog. I lost my dog. I had a son who, you know, now we're splitting time, which you talked about empty nesters earlier. He was in the process in high school, moving through, leaving the house already. So it was like this dual empty nest slash we don't even have a nest anymore. What's going on here? And the last thing you had to hold on to was the things, right? Because the things were your identity. And that was like the final, oh my gosh, this is uh, this is really not who I am anymore. I don't have my t- car. I've always had this theory, I call it the disattachment theory, is I never have anything that I'm not willing to lose. When I got divorced, I haven't thought about this literally in 16 years. When I got divorced, a friend of mine took me to the master's. 
he had tickets and I was going through a rough time. And he said, let's go up and see the Masters Golf Tournament for a weekend. It was magical. And I bought two glasses with the Masters logo in it. I had them for years. And about three years ago, my son dropped one and it broke. And he came into my room and he was like, oh my God, dad, I'm so sorry. It's like one of your favorite glasses. It's just a glass. Did you cut yourself? Are you okay? And he was really taken aback by it because I always really enjoy that because it was a magical weekend. It makes me think of it. I have a collection of coffee mugs where all my nephews and and kids and stepkids go to college because when I have my coffee in the morning, I think about them, but they're just mugs. Yeah. So I don't, I try not to have anything that I'm not willing to lose. Well, and that goes to what we were talking about earlier. That means you're not seeking your happiness or peace in something else, right? Because before we were talking about doing things for other gives us joy and hanging out with this person gives us joy. Well, the truth is the majority of our what we think is joy and happiness is in our car, is in our favorite pair of jeans, is in our, you know, coffee mug from the masters. But we don't realize that until it's gone. You, Seth, had already done that unattachment to things and found your happiness and peace within. So when the cup broke, it didn't matter. But I'll bet you if it would have been shortly after your divorce and that cup broke, that was your only shining light in that moment. It probably would have been... Oh, I would have given up my child at that point. Yeah, Yeah. you would have been like... Your former son who dropped that glass Yeah, (laughs) exactly. My former son. I never really liked him anyway. (laughs) He's such a smart ass. So I, uh, I can, can you reflect a little bit on your former spouse's experience with this? I'm thinking it, it, in the divorce process, as you're negotiating, you're sliding papers underneath his hand for signature, you're doing all of those things. Do you, did you learn anything by essentially bearing witness to the process? I mean, I, what a, the statement of you really find out who someone is when it death and divorce, right? My father passed away when I was 18 and I got to see that firsthand. My family fell apart. It was a huge mess. This divorce was another reminder of that. I had a friend who lost her husband to cancer. And during my divorce, she came to me and she said, you know, I'd give anything for my husband to be back, but that was so much easier than what you're going through now. And what I tell my clients is, It's this grieving process of a person that no longer exists, but does exist, right? Like his body's still walking around, that name's still there. He still, you know, can talk to you, but you have no clue who he is. And same for me, like he probably had no clue who I was either because I completely self-destructed. But the cool thing is being able to witness that and then later where things are at now, is only a result of the internal work I did, right? We didn't go to counseling and try to after divorce fix things or anything like that. But I did my work inside myself. Therefore, he doesn't prickle me anymore. We don't, you know, get in huge blowups anymore because I don't place things in him. Same for the coffee mug, right? Like I don't place anything in him. Gives you the freedom to co-parent with more authenticity and presence. And I imagine. Oh, yeah. Not putting words in your mouth, but. Definitely. I mean, when I moved to Florida, we started having weekly uh, video calls, me and my ex-husband and my son. And my son at the time was 20 or 19 or 20 years old. Like there was that wasn't necessary other than the fact that we could do it. And I was moving across the country and it was beautiful. You know, it's interesting you say that, actually, because 
with my son's life. His mom and I have been divorced since he was two and a half. Oh, wow. Sometimes I would wait in the car as eager as I was to hear what he was going to tell me about his day when something big happens. Mm -hmm. And I would say, wait, get mom on the phone or when we get home, because I didn't want him to have to tell it twice. Uh. Right. Because sometimes it's like, oh, I just told this to dad. Right. And then you like saying the whole story over. Now, if it's something really exciting, you want to tell it. It's great. But you don't want you don't want the act of telling stories to each parent to exhaust any part of your relationship with them. Right. Exactly. Or with themselves like, oh, I got to do this again. Right. And it's not their fault that they have to do it twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I always just was very intentional about that. What it kind of reminded me of what you're saying, like, hey, yeah, we had video chats. Yeah. But I think a lot of people struggle to get to that place. And I worked in child protection for over a decade and, you know, was in the middle of different divorces and custody battles. And our judge always would show, you guys have maybe seen this, there's this letter a judge wrote to a newspaper pretty much telling parents going through a divorce that, hey, divorce doesn't hurt your children. It's how you handle it. And every time you talk crap about the other parent, you're talking crap about 50% of that child and they know that. Um, and it, it's a beautiful, if you haven't seen it, I'll find it and send it to you. But it's a beautiful reminder of we're the adults in this. Like everything we do, the way we talk about the other, the way we handle situations is hurting our child. Even if you're trying to hurt your ex-husband or hurt your ex-wife, you're really hurting the child. A hundred percent. And and I always say it, parents don't get divorced. Mom and dads don't get divorced. Spouses get divorced. Right. So you're still the parent. The other thing is kids figure it out. Yeah. You want to start passion, that parent, that kid when they're 20 or whatever, they're going to figure it out. And ultimately, if they don't figure it out and they're in their 30s and 40s and having kids, like eventually it's going to come back in their own children. So you're just laying minefields and minefields that is not the way to go for your kid and your grandkids. Well, and we, we should shout out uh, Ellen Bruno. We had on the show last season, uh, a document, documentary filmmaker split the early years and split up the teen years. Uh, her documentary interviewing children about their experience watching their parents go through a divorce. Extraordinary uh, work and it's worth checking out. Yeah, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what you are up to. You uh, as a as a coach. What is the kind of coaching that you're doing based on all of these fantastic learnings that you have done as you've as you've risen the Phoenix? As I've risen. Um, well, I, I use the title solution focused self-love mentor and trauma coach. So essentially, when I really started to come out the other end of my divorce, I had tried to Google fix myself in the middle of the divorce, right? Googling all the things I'm doing. And it just kept saying, like, you're doing everything wrong, which created more shame and guilt. Um, and I was like, man, I never want another woman to not have the opportunity to essentially rise up after such uh, uh, bringing you down to the bottom place. Um, and then I created my business. So it's transformed over the years. I continue to work on myself. And essentially, I just work with men and women. Um, my target audience is women, though, to uncover the stuff that's holding them back from their truth within. And really, like I was talking about earlier, find that true self-love, which is knowing yourself. So clearing back the societal conditioning and programming and trauma 
that's really what I'm up to these days. That's the unicorn stuff, right? You want to talk why you have unicorns on your wall? Uh, <laughs> that's your that's your process. Yes, it's the unicorn effect method, um, and essentially, like the butterfly effect, if you flap, if a butterfly flaps its wings halfway around the world, it'll create a tsunami. And I'm here to say, when you stand in your authenticity and fully love yourself, you interacting with one person can impact 7 billion very quickly. So it's really standing in your authentic self. And you work primarily with women or exclusively with women? Primarily. I do have some men. Okay. Uh, and when people come to you, what is the level of, of breakage that you're breaking, you're trying to break through? All different levels. Um, it's been so beautiful because... Though I have different target audience, right? Marketing 101, if anybody here is familiar with marketing, you have to have a very unique niche. But even in that uniqueness, I will just get anyone anywhere. So I have some people that are 19 years old and they're just like, I want to invest in myself now and know who I am now. So I'm not 40 years old going through a divorce and trying to figure it out. And then I have you know, people, Smart. right. I know I would have never done that at 19. Exactly. Unless it came where you could like get me beer under age. Yeah. Maybe. Right. Start contributing <laughs> to your Roth and go get counseling. That's when That's you're 18, right. get it done. It's huge. And to know that this generation is seeing the value in it just gives me so much hope for the future. And then I have people all the way up in their fifties who have gone through a super awful divorce and can't get out of bed every day. So I really just see myself as a clear vessel that knows the path back to your answers. I don't think I have your answers. I just ask really great questions, hold a space that's free of judgment and get you to what's going on inside of you. Fascinating. I got to tell you, I don't think I've ever heard it summed up that well as I ask really great questions and hold a space without judgment. That's just, that's wonderful. Oh, thanks. Sometimes people are like, what? What's that? I'm like, yeah. Well, because they've never had that, right? Yeah. They've mm -hmm. always been judged. Right. Right. Well, and so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about identity. Like so much of identity is is reflected through judgment. We're either judging ourselves or we're reflecting the judgments of others and how it bounces off of us. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, Ashley, thank you so, so much for hanging out. Where do you want to send people who want to learn more about you? BigMiracleEnergy.com. You can find everything there. Adventures. I call adventures so recent podcasts. So this will be on the adventures page. And then I also have a YouTube Big Miracle Energy YouTube channel as well as a Patreon. So if you Google Big Miracle Energy, you'll find me. Outstanding. BigMiracleEnergy.com. And, and by the way, Pete, I was on the website earlier and I was looking for a unicorn. Instead, she's got this awesome picture jumping up by the beach. Uh. <laughs> but uh, And then like we get on the show, she's like, oh, I got a unicorn hanging, hanging on, my, on wall. my wall. It's like <laughs> right over. <laughs> yeah. I was like, why isn't that on the website? <laughs> you know? And the reason I raised that is because before we got on the show, uh, Ashley was commenting about all the cool stuff Pete has on his wall, mm -hmm. which is a whole litany of past electronic coolness it, you know and uh, this is i we forgot to even bring this up we'll do it as a little coda here i think so much about rediscovering yourself is rediscovering playfulness and like frivolity that is locked away that we've forgotten how to do and this is this is my effort in my office by putting old gear little bits of memorabilia stuff other people have sent me to surround me is is a way to remember this is who i used to be and that kid was fun 
Like mm. he played with stuff and he still needs to sometimes be reminded what it's like to play. Yeah, that's who you still are, though. Like that yeah. isn't an old version. I like to say, you know, Pablo Picasso has a very famous quote and I've kind of switched it up a little. He says, we spend half of our life learning to become an adult and the other half learning to become a child, I say remembering that we are a child. We're overgrown, unsupervised children that have to take care of ourselves now and can eat ice cream all day, every day if we want to. Ugh, dare to dream. You can. Like, no one's telling you no. My gallbladder disagrees. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of problems with that scenario. (laughs) But I understand the concept and I'm... 100% 100% percent. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh. Well, anyway, hey, you know, this has been great. Thank you so much, Ashley, for hanging out with us. Thank you. Uh, links in the show notes to all of the places where you need to be sent to learn more about Ashley. All right, we'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Seth, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. It's just tragic. Pete, we hear this statistic all the time. At the end of the day, the courts don't care about the statistic. The courts care about keeping kids safe. And when I mean safe, I mean safe from a party who truly suffers from an alcohol disorder or is being wrongly accused of having alcoholism or some other alcohol disorder. It's easy, and it saves you money. Instead of he said, she said, there's Soberlink. Soberlink is fantastic, and they are a fantastic partner to this show. So what is Soberlink? Soberlink is a device. It's like a breathalyzer, but it is more. You blow into Soberlink whenever you want to prove in real time that you are safe to be with your kids at carpool, at drop-off, at handoff. Whenever you're going to be driving, you blow into Soberlink. It uses facial recognition to prove that you are the one blowing at the time that you are taking the reading. It sends it off to the people who need to know. People involved directly in your case, not to be used for publication, not to be used for social media. This just goes to the people who matter most for your case as you are collecting data. Soberlink Remote Alcohol Monitoring has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind during parenting time. And Seth, word on the street is courts love it. Yeah. And it's not just when you're getting in a car. Let's be clear. People can say, never gotten a DUI. What's the issue? Well, the issue is once you're home at five o'clock and you're no longer driving, but you're going to start cooking and having a glass of wine and that glass of wine turns into two bottles. That's now an issue. So it's not just getting in the car. It's when you, the children are in your care, custody and control, are you focused on them and not using alcohol? Independent third party, real time verification to support your case. I haven't been drinking Here's the proof. Those are the words that lawyers and courts love. But here are the words you're going to love. You can save 50 bucks off your device and get started right away at Soberlink.com slash toaster. That's Soberlink.com slash toaster. Thank you to Soberlink for sponsoring this show. Seth, we have a listener question. Are you ready for this? It's a doozy. Yeah. Great way to start the season. Let's do it. Absolutely. Don't forget, everybody, you can ask your own questions just like the one you're about to hear, com. Click the button, ask a question, and you can be just like this particular anonymous by request submitter. 
Seth, wondering if you'd consider a podcast on options when family law court fails. In my case, I have an excellent attorney and great therapists and a fairly black and white case of documented alcohol abuse disorder, and my ex-husband failed Soberlink tests prior to final judgment, a suspended healthcare license, diagnoses by board-certified psychiatrists, private investigator reports. However, our judge was sympathetic to substance abuse, and my ex-husband's severe denial is supported and billed by his high-conflict attorney. He refused further sobriety testing or even abstaining from alcohol, and I didn't have the money to go to trial considering the unpredictable judge who may not have required what I was asking, which was not drinking while while our daughters are in his care. I do have primary custody 80% of the time, which protects my young children, but my goal wasn't to keep my kids away from their dad, only to ensure their safety and access to a sober parent. So now we learn to live in a gray space. Unless there's something else that can be done, perhaps the answer here is empowering children to ensure their own safety. But that doesn't feel realistic or fair either. That's a big story, Seth. What do you think? First off, it's a huge story, and it's unfortunately a very common story. Because as we've discussed many times, going to court is extremely expensive. Let's just look at the expenses that were in this case. Suspended healthcare license. Someone had to find that, review it, figure it out. Diagnosis of board-certified psychiatrist. That sounds like they had a mental health professional or social investigation. That could be twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars. Private investigator reports. They get paid by the hour, and that's not cheap. Then they got to write the report, and she didn't have the money to go to her trial because you have an unpredictable judge based on something the judge said along the way that gave the impression that the judge was sympathetic to the substance abuse. So there's a lot to unpack here, but this anonymous listener in her question gives us the own answer, which is the right answer, is perhaps the answer is empowering children to ensure their own safety, but that doesn't feel realistic or fair either. I appreciate the ending sentiment. I don't know how old the children are, It's a whole lot different if a child is two years old and going over to dads, in this case, 20% of the time, and they can't speak up. It's different when they're 13, 14, 15, and they can learn the signs of what happens when someone is drinking or suffering from alcoholism and protect themselves more. But I think, ultimately, we ask too much of our judges to make these decisions because the system and the way it's even set up, I believe, is flawed. We are telling people you need to co-parent effectively together, and we put you into an adversarial system. Right. That's ripe with contradiction and problems. We try to then say, well, parents shouldn't fight. So recently in Florida, check your local jurisdiction, there is now a presumption of 50-50 time sharing. The reason they did that, in my view, is they're trying to not to have less litigation and the arc has changed where fathers are viewed as being more responsible in being involved in the children's lives. Doesn't mean that they're the better parent or the best parent or they're doing what's best for the kid. It's just a presumption, a blanket presumption, treating everyone the same. Pete, you have more than one child. You treat them differently because they're different kids. Yeah. But we try to do these blanket. We're going to treat everyone the same in court 
when it's really a case-by-case basis, the law should be the same, it should be applied the same, but you have to really look at those facts. So my heart goes out to this listener because the system is flawed from the start, and to ask it to correct or be better when it's flawed is, I I think, asking too much. There was a, gosh, I'm spacing it. I should look it up for the show notes. There's a wonderful quote from a a writer of young people's stuff uh, who said, you know, is in as a way of describing like a psalm for parents to their kids that uh, I cannot protect you from the world and the world can be a hard place, but I can show you how to respond to whatever the world gives you. Now, I'm butchering the quote, but I love that idea. I can't protect you from everything, but I can show you what to look out for. And hundred percent, it, it is not, it, it doesn't feel realistic. It might be the only choice. It doesn't feel fair, but it, it might be the only fair thing you have in front of you. So, right. And, you know, I appreciate the sentiment of, I have the kids 80% of the time. My goal wasn't to keep them away. It was to keep them safe. You do know they're safe when they're not there because they're not at potential risk. I'm not saying risk because maybe days um, or moments that the dad is not suffering from the alcoholism at that very moment where they're drinking, maybe maybe things are good. I don't know. But it's uh, my heart goes out to you. You know, I hope your kids are doing well. I hope you're doing well. We really appreciate the question. And I hope your former spouse is getting some help. Absolutely. Time may do what it does. All right. Well, thank you so much for writing in uh, and sharing that question. Keep them coming, everybody. How to split a toaster.com. Ask Seth a question. That's the button. Uh, and uh, I think we're done, Seth. I, I, we had a fantastic conversation with Ashley. Thank you so much, Ashley, for hanging out with us. Uh, on behalf of Ashley Abramson and Seth R. Nelson, America's favorite divorce attorney. I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next time right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.